Hello, and welcome to Saving People, Queering Things, a Supernatural podcast. We were previously known as Driver Picks the Podcast, and the episode you're about to listen to was recorded under that name. Though our name has changed as of season three, our show hasn't changed that much. Our structure and theme-based discussions are the same, and we're so glad you're here. Now, let's get on the road. Hello, and welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, the show where we talk about ghosts, road trips, and free will through every episode of the TV series Supernatural. Today, we are discussing season one, episode seven, Hookman, through the theme of gratitude. I'm Abigail, your host, and joining me today is Hannah. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I am over the moon that we got to record this episode today. This is a good one. This is one I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm really excited to get to talk about it. Yeah. So it is now time for our series recap, The Road So Far. Sam Winchester is a Stanford student when his girlfriend Jess dies mysteriously in the same way that his mother died mysteriously over 20 years ago. Sam, along with his brother Dean, head out on the road to try and find their father and track down whatever supernatural being committed these murders. So far, they've been unsuccessful in finding John, and Sam has been haunted by Jess's death and his own guilt over some strange dreams he continues to have about it. As they search for John, Sam and Dean are actively on the hunt, saving people and killing monsters across America. And that brings us to this episode, episode seven, and to our very own 30-second on-the-spot recap. Like, in this episode, the pacing is a little bit different. Yeah. Just sort of its overall arc. And so I'm like, I'm trying to think through. Yeah, I feel like my recap's going to be a little bit boring today. That's okay. <laughs> we just get in the main stuff. All right. Okay. You know what? I'll wing it. I'll wing it. I'll see how it goes. Yeah. That's what we're about here. Okay. On your marks, get set, go. <laughs> so Dean and Sam uh, end up in a town where it turns out that a popular urban legend aka the hook man appears to be terrorizing people surrounding one very religious girl the daughter of a local pastor first the man uh kills a boyfriend who is making too many moves on her and then her party girl roommate before finally going after her father and ultimately her turns out it is the uh old spirit of a haunted pastor latching onto her repressed religious emotions amazing in three two, one, go. Okay, so Sam and Dean are checking out this town where a bunch of people are being killed with this strange hook, and they figure out that it's this past, this old pastor whose spirit's haunting um, this girl, and there's a lot of themes of Sam and this girl being mirrored. She thinks she's cursed. There's all these questions of whose fault is it that these terrible things are happening, um, but they do eventually manage to stop Hookman and then they leave town to find John. Nice, that was smooth. It is now time for us to discuss this episode through our chosen theme. And this week, our theme is gratitude. And I will admit that this was a harder theme to pull out of this particular episode. I have a few notes. Um, but I think we're going to focus on some big overarching themes, and then we're probably also going to talk about some things that aren't specifically related to gratitude, but that we really want to talk about. But I will let you start, Hannah, because I know you have 
kind of a bigger picture way of looking at this episode through gratitude. Oh, all right. I, yeah, I definitely echo. It was interesting. There's all these little moments of gratitude scattered throughout the episode, right? I can see your notes and you're talking about every time someone sort of mentioned, oh, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Um, you should be grateful for this. But as a theme, I really, yeah, I really struggled and it made me sort of approach it through a bigger lens, exactly like you said. Uh, I come from a, a conservative Christian fundamentalist background growing up in the Bible Belt of the United States. And when I was 15, our family moved to New Mexico and have really explored what theology looks like outside of that sort of, um, that fundamentalist lens and looked at it more like through the different members of our family and how we approach it differently. And right, myself approaching queer theology and something that has come up across my life that I think comes up in this episode in terms of gratitude is the sort of, mm, the outlook or the perspective or worldview of forced gratitude for horrific events. Right, and this sort of, we see, what's her, her Lori, right, is the girl's name? Yes, Lori. Lori. Um, oof, that tells you how memorable I found her. Oh my God, I feel a little bit guilty. Um, <laughs> right, but there's, the, there's this, this theme throughout, right, is that they assume the hook man is latching on to the repressed, sort of misogynistic, um, anti-sex views of the pastor. And the big twist, the big reveal is that the hookman's actually latching on to the conflicting repressed, the conflicting emotions of Lori herself, right? And it's this, this crux of a moment where she and Sam are talking about whose fault it is. And she says, well, I realized I wanted these, some part of me wanted these people to be punished. And then I realized they didn't deserve to be punished like that. If anything, I deserve to be punished for wanting them to be punished. And that's the moment that, right, the hook man sort of goes after her. And again, it's not stated in the episode, but to me that really called back to this sort of, you know, people joke about Catholic guilt or about um, Protestant repression and this idea of I'm having the wrong emotions about this. I am approaching this the wrong way. And there's this concept in Christianity called like the fear of the Lord. And it's this really difficult thing to navigate, right? Both for myself personally and growing up, hearing about it through different people's perspectives. You know, people talk about, well, are you actually supposed to be afraid of God? Are you, are you supposed to be afraid of what he can do? Is it supposed to be reverence? Is it supposed to be awe? But it always kind of came couched in these ideas of even if you don't understand it, even if you don't feel aligned with it, you're still grateful for it or you're still obedient. And for me, that moment of she has lost, kind of going from this man who was creepy and groping all up on her to her roommate, right, that she clearly cared about and all the way up to her father being threatened and then Lori's own body she's clinging to this idea of what should be mm -hmm. um and to me I kind of read it as this forced she's trying to put herself in this position of feeling the right things and doing the right things and trying to be grateful for what she does have 
And I, I think I'm, I'm like, I'm shoehorning the gratitude in a little bit, right? I can hear it, but there's this very specific perspective that I have always encountered in my Christian upbringing, in my religious upbringing of this, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and you praise him all the same, like this gratitude that is tied to obedience and tied to doing the right thing, even if it doesn't feel like the right thing. And I think that was kind of scattered throughout this episode. Like there's this implication early on that she should be grateful for the protection. Oh, this really creepy guy who kept ignoring her boundaries and maybe might've done so increasingly died. Um, and, you know, sort of this implication that maybe she should be grateful for the protection that supposedly her dad's repression is giving her. And when it turns out to just be her and turns out to be her own, right, Dean describes them as conflicting emotions, it becomes so much more complex and heartbreaking, right, that she herself is trying to be feeling and doing the right things about wishing that she was punished for having those conflicting emotions. That's sort of eight different um, topics and ideas in a trench coat, but that's <laughs> that's sort of where I pulled out this theme of gratitude as it tied up in what was a very, you and I were just talking about this, a very religious episode. Yeah, I had forgotten how religious the themes of this episode really are. I don't think this is an episode I've watched very many times comparatively to some other season one episodes. Um, kind of going off of what you were saying, I also think about how when I think there is a, a lot of perceived control over your emotions, when you need, when you feel the need to like have the right emotions and be grateful for the things that are happening to you and that sort of thing, like Lori goes through this process of, of, of being scared and then being able to admit that she kind of wanted, she kind of thought they deserved punishment and then realizing they didn't deserve punishment. And so she says, you know, like I kind of wanted my dad to be punished for, you know, this affair that he's having. And I, it made me think about how, when there's so much control over emotions or when you have to have so much control over emotions, then like they just kind of, it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Like you're, you know, it starts with fear, but then, you know, fear ends up being really targeted at yourself. And so it's a lot easier for your brain to just kind of be like, no, instead I'm going to be angry at someone else, or instead I'm going to push that anger, that, that feeling off so that I'm not, don't have to feel as responsible for these conflicting emotions. Like it's a lot easier to externalize them. And obviously the hook man takes advantage of the fact that she's got all these conflicting emotions of being, you know, she's, a, she's victimized and she's confused and she is controlled and she is trying to make her own decisions and she's, you know, and the hook man preys on that. And that's where he gets a lot of his power is from preying on that while she's trying to like lock it all down and just be grateful that she survived. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, I, feel like, I feel like this is a, you know, a Jedi quote moment, you know, what is it? The, the fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering, like that you're displacing these whack-a-mole emotions and they actually just stack up to each other to um, a bigger man in a trench coat with a hook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really, like, at the, near the end, you know, Sam says to her, it's not your fault. 
like he's I think a lot of what the, the conversations she has with Sam's are Sam trying to actually kind of pull apart the emotion she's feeling and the complexity of them from any sort of morality or mm. responsibility like he's trying to rec- he's trying to help her recognize that like you might feel all of these things there might be all of this conflicting experiences that you've had but you're not the thing that's been doing this harm your mm. feelings of your your feelings of guilt your feelings of anger your feelings of betrayal for your you know dad having an affair your feelings of you know fear or victimization from your other experiences your feeling of am i responsible like that's separate from the actual person you know spirit who's actually doing the harm the spirit that that's that's who's actually responsible for the bad things that are happening. And Sam tells her, you know, it's not your fault. And she really struggles with that and says, you know, like, I don't know how, I don't know how it's my fault, but she is still convinced it is. And right up until I think they're actually able to fully stop the hook man, she's still, I think, taking a ton of responsibility. And I wonder after this, if she's able to kind of work through that sense of responsibility and has to be said because this is going to come up all th- I want to talk about this all through the episode of she is a big huge giant mirror for I think two things she is first off of the mirror she's a bit of a mirror for Jess so this is the first girl that Sam really has I mean chemistry is kind of the wrong word but it's this is the first girl that Sam has like a, a, an emotional connection to since Jess died and you know, she's in danger. She's constantly like, a, a, you know, at the, seems like she's at risk of death. And Sam, I think really, really desperately wants to save her. I think partly because she's, you know, she's mirroring Jess. But the more interesting mirror to me is actually how she's mirroring Sam because we see all of their conversations we see her say, I think I'm cursed. We say her, you know, her say, I don't know how, but it is my fault. We see, you know, you know, you know, this is what my dad has said, but like, what does he know about this? You know, he Mm. raised me to believe this thing, but that's not been Mm. my experience. And all three of those conversations are so indicative of like Sam's journey so far. Sam is, has a, been has seen the two most important women in his life die right in front of him in the exact same way for reasons he doesn't know I think Sam is struggling with like where's what is my connection to that so that that piece of like I think I'm cursed people around me keep dying and then the like I don't know how this is my fault but it feels like it is and it's really telling that she has these conversations with Sam and not with Dean because the peace sense of like Sam's conflicting emotions are really mirrored in hers. I, oh, I'm in love with this mirroring. I'm so glad we got here. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's delicious. Uh, mm. I, I got little goosebumps. You're talking about the pastor. And I think that that mirroring with Sam kind of comes through in a ways that connect to exactly what we've just been talking about. 
I might be showing sort of like my bias, but early on in the episode, again, when you think it's her dad, when you think it's the pastor and you think it's these, um, like these moral judgments, right? This very classic Americana trope of the angry, uh, conservative pastor connected to killings of women that he perceives as sexually promiscuous, right? Like this very classic setup. And when Sam is comforting Lori, then it's not your fault, right? This is, they think it's her dad, right? Whether or not they're, they're arrived there or not, you as the audience and you as the brothers are leaning towards that direction. And so he's comforting her in this very particular way then but when it moved, right, the scene in the church, mm-hmm. when he's telling her to her faith, this is not your fault. Talk about the feeling of, <laughs> the feeling of your emotions being wrong. He's in that moment. They know that it's her. They know that her emotions, her reactions are what the spirit is feeding on. And there is no hesitation. This is not Sam blanket comforting somebody to keep them calm this is not sam lying to her face at least i don't assume so right i don't read it very either. yeah i don't no. read it and i think in, no because you you can feel how genuinely he's comforting her and you can kind of see right jared padalecki in this moment is kind of purposely playing on his face that it's a little complex yes the spirit is feeding on your emotions but that you're not wrong for having those emotions you just yeah. happen to be here yeah, that's not the point that, of this. That's not the point of, you know, even if yeah. even if the monster is feeding off of her emotions, that doesn't mean she's wrong for having them. That doesn't, yes. that, that you can't draw a straight line from those emotions to her responsibility. No, and I think that's so, I literally have little goosebumps thinking about that. I think that's so powerful, both in terms of the episode and of mirroring Sam, right? That he thinks he's reassuring Jess and we, the audience, are seeing him reassure himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also powerful in terms of the religious tones that we're bringing up of when you move away from moralizing emotions and lean into people have emotions, it's what you do with them that matters. Mm-hmm. She wasn't doing anything with those emotions. Somebody else was. And I oh, I think that's so powerful in a mirror of Sam. Yeah. You know, and- I, the conversations they had, oh, choice excellent choice to bring up yeah and I want to bring I want to come back to because we've kind of talked about the early conversation and the later conversation that that middle conversation where they talk about you know what my dad would say if I'm scared Mm. you know what my dad would say if I'm having these feelings Um, my dad would say pray he would say have faith you know but what does he know about faith because he's this hypocrite um blah, 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 blah. You know, she says, he raised me to believe that if you do something wrong, you get punished. And I, we're going to see as we get further into season one, we've already seen a bit when we get little bits of information about John, because this is a a mirror. This is a, an interesting to look at in terms of Sam's relationship with John, but also Dean's relationship with John. We're going to get a lot of this dynamic as well of, you know, I know what my dad thinks about things. I know these, my dad would say, this is simple, you know, for her dad, mm-hmm. it's say pray, have faith for John Winchester. It is a lot of other things. It's, you know, make sure you have a gun. It's, you know, take care of your little brother. It's, mm-hmm. there are monsters in the, in the closet, you know, and she's questioning what does, you know, my dad's 
my dad's made off like he knows everything about faith or he knows everything important there is and but what does he really know like there's there's a disconnect between my experience and what my dad says about the world and about faith and I think you know Sam's always seen that disconnect between his own experience and what John the way John raised him um and we're gonna see throughout this season I'm pulling at strings a little bit here because I wanted to um but I, <laughs> I I'm so interested in this season in the construction of John Winchester before we ever meet him mm. the uh, oh I think that's really powerful about him and what we don't know about him. And every time there's a conversation about a father, especially ones like this, you know, about this is the way my dad raised me. I'm always reminded of what, how little we know about how Sam and Dean were raised. Um, and, you know, she says, he raised me to believe if you do something wrong, you get punished. This very like cause and effect sort of view of faith this very cause and effect sort of view of the world that I think Sam pushes against and always has with John I think we're gonna see Dean exploring that because um in a lot of ways he's always followed he's always you know bought into what John how John raised them and that's going to be the source of him and Sam's conflict later on in this season and already has been to some extent um, and I don't really know where I'm entirely going with that. I think it's just interesting. We're going to get lots of themes of faith and parenting and specifically like a father's influence on like, what do you believe about the world? And John Winchester has given a very specific view of the world to his sons. And we're going to see them both kind of push up against that. And I thought this, this conversation between Sam and Laurie was an interesting one to think of through that lens. I think you're absolutely right. Those are the strings that we should be pulling on, right? Those are the exact strings that we're here to pull on, <laughs> maybe where they don't exist and tie together. I I think that's such a great point. I think that I think it is an exceptionally interesting thing that in prior episodes we see people ask about what's happening, right? When they realize that the Winchester brothers know what's going on and they don't, they ask, they're like, what's happening? Who is this? The Winchesters give them some sort of explanation or they're like, I can't explain. We're being hunted as we speak. Lori at no point that I can recall asks. No, no. And I think that is so interesting in the concept of faith and in the ways that she and Sam approach it. Hmm. Sam fully, because Sam, right, is the person who also convinces, he and Dean sort of take turns convincing each other that it's a hook man, but he's the yeah. one who starts pulling at these threads to, oh no, I think it's going this direction, I think this is what we need to look for. I don't know, I think it's absolutely fascinating that these two kids coming from two completely different upbringings are still dealing with the same character and neither of them question believing that it's real right Lori's like they didn't believe my story but at no point does she doubt that she saw it she's like maybe I was seeing things but I know what I saw yeah that's really really true they're both coming from experiences where having faith is having faith in things you can't always see or things that not everyone mm -hmm. else sees like the idea of mm -hmm. there are things that 
are a mystery. There are things that are outside of your normal, the normal scope of understanding, you know, whether that's religious things or monsters. And Mm. so they start on this, this, with this framework of, of faith, you know, not even necessarily in the like positive sense, but in the very neutral sense of like believing in something that not everyone else believes in. Yeah. I think that's the whole sort of ending scene, right? Where Dean, Dean is fairly hands-off of the actual like victims or people in this episode. It's very clearly a moment for Sam to process through. Mm-hmm. And so that ending scene, right? Where Dean's in the car and he's watching Sam and Lori interact in the mirror. What, that, that mirror, literal mirror of Sam and Lori is set up and really emphasized to us that Dean sees it as well. Um, but I think that shared belief and that shared potential is exactly why Dean offers. He's like, we could stay here. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that Sam and Lori have something in common. And, you know, I think that might, I, I, I think Dean sees that as innocence. I think Dean sees that as purity, right? Lori is set up as this like goody two shoes church girl sort of throughout the episode. And I think that's as much as Dean gives Sam grief about it. He really believes in Sam's purity comparatively and yeah I think that's so oh I think that's so rich yeah and he recognizes what Sam has lost too Mm. in terms of Jess and I think he sees the connection that Sam and Lori are making and knows that what that means for Sam in terms of his grieving and I think yeah I think that's I think you're absolutely right that's why he offers for them to stay because it's not really offered as a joke sort of like oh you're mm-hmm. gonna get some if you he's, like it's it's mostly a like genuine like we can stay if that's something that's going to actually help you and which is interesting when we think of the last few episodes because we've had several episodes in a row now really bloody mary um skin and this episode are all very sam's grief centric episodes they are Mm. all dealing really strongly with sam processing through losing jess the dreams he's having about jess the dreams he had before jess had died like you know he's processing through all of that and he's also processing through is this my life now you know am i fully in on this trying to find dad am I fully in on hunting you know whatever we come across and we get because I I, you mentioned the scene at the end where like Dean is kind of hands off we also saw that in skin um Mm. like one episode prior where oh yeah Sam is making an emotional connection and it's about he you know he's making the emotional connection he's making the he's reassuring the victim he's supporting them through that transition at the end of the episode but it's also we're also getting so much mirrored of sam's own like process and it's yeah it's really interesting the kind of character study we're getting on sam and every time i think we're getting a little further in terms of how like i think you know a couple of episodes back in bloody mary we still see him really guilty and really certain that it's his fault because he was dreaming of it before it happened with Jess by skin he's got a little bit more there's a little bit more of a like you know I think I think skin is when they have the conversation about you couldn't have 
like you I think actually no I think it is Bloody Mary they have a conversation about you couldn't have stopped it Dean says to him like you it would have happened no matter whether or not you were there um and then by this episode you know we're getting that mirror of like even if you think you're cursed even if people around you think keep dying it's still not your fault even if you don't know even if you don't know what's happening it's still not your fault and yeah I think that's really really interesting um that gives me that's a that's a sort of comparison that again gives me those goosebumps it's it really is that it ends on Lori telling him thank you I think and sort of in my head I had this concept of gratitude in this episode of being powerful but not being enough like gratitude alone is not enough it's the sort of the arc of Sam internalizing and then telling other people this isn't your fault no matter what you experience you're not doing this yeah uh, and that moment of connection with Lori and her gratitude for everything he's done is not in the end satisfying no or satisfying enough to keep him off the road no and I think because I think Sam still needs to know you mm. know his just having faith that it wasn't his fault is not enough just having the understanding that I couldn't have stopped it isn't enough Sam is still you know I think we're not going to hear him say this for a while but we still have the implication of Sam thinks he, he's cursed or that something something attached to him is what is is at the crux of this and that's going to be a huge part of Sam's arc for the whole show is 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 Sam you know being like is there something in my nature is there something in me is there something about the way that I am or the person that I am that is cursed and like you said just because he's able to rescue these people just because he's able to say this to someone else doesn't mean he's fully grasped yet that that's enough um because he needs to know and there's so therefore they're still on the road they're still hunting down John they're still trying to figure out what happened um and I am thankful for that as a listener and viewer so that I can also find out what's happening yes yes it's and I, I love watching this little unfolding because I think we've gotten to the point in the season where we've got a little bit of a, like a stall on sort of information about where John is. We're in mm. a, kind of a handful of episodes that aren't really moving us closer to John. They're just sort of looking. And even at the beginning of this, of this episode, there's a really brief conversation where that's connected to them looking for John and it's just futile. Um, but as we're getting these sort of one-off monster of the week hunts, they're peeling back a little, little bit more of these characters, which I think is going to make it that much more powerful when we do get to the point where we find John, because we are going to know, you know, who these two are, what their motivations are, what they're actually, the weight of everything connected to John and connected to their lives and their history and the guilt that they both feel and the, you know, I think it's going to be a, yeah, it's interesting to watch it kind of unfold. Yeah. By buying us into the hunt right along with Sam. Yeah. Yeah. We really do. We really are getting to come along in Sam's process in ways that I really love. It's an, ex it's an excellent sort of vehicle for getting the audience involved. It really is. It really is. Um, 
Next, we're going to move into our going meta segment where we talk about some of the lore of the show. We track a few things about the show and we talk about pop culture and that sort of thing. So first off, significant deaths. There are no significant deaths in this episode. This is another one-off. None of these characters are going to be recurring other than Sam and Dean. Second is the Bechdel test. Hannah. Uh, yes. Oh my God. Finally. Finally. Thank you, Supernatural. Thank you, Supernatural Gods, for uh, bestowing upon us women who speak to each other. Uh, not about a man. It is brief and it is about drinking, but they do speak to each other. Yeah. And it, you know, I love, love to see it. Love to see some accurate rep of my life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, which now makes the, this is now the second episode that we have passed the Bechdel test Woo! out of seven. So <laughs> keeping it really strong. <laughs> so strong. <laughs> what is that? Um, it's like 25%? Slightly yeah. More. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Next 20. we have our lore check. So I... There's not a lot of um, recurring lore in this episode. This is the one and only time they're going to meet a hookman, that this particular urban legend is going to come up. However, kind of like we talked about in our theme discussion, this is one of the first episodes with a really strong focus on religious themes and on faith themes. And that is going to obviously become really big through the rest of the show. That's, this is a, yeah. These themes are going to be, going to be recurring. Anything you want to say on lore related stuff? Is the lore check for just like uh, show lore? Um, not specifically. Okay. I, this is not a very serious response. Um, but of course, uh, he hearing about uh, Hookman really does make one remember classic ye old meme a man door, hand hook, car door. And that makes it a lot harder to take the hook man seriously. I did get into the episode. I didn't take it seriously. It was, I felt for Lori, but I really, the whole time under my breath, man door, hand hook, car door. Oh, <laughs> haunting me, haunting me. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That That's the only lore I connected it to. It's like, oh, I, I also know. <laughs> I think that's man. about all that there is in this episode. <laughs> Um, next we have locations. So I think, is it Ohio? Yeah, it's Ohio that they're in. I've never been to Ohio. This is the second episode that they've been in Ohio so far. I've been to Ohio. I got a kidney stone in Ohio. It was fun. Highly recommend. Ohio or no, the I kidney stone? No. Um, you know, they're, they're a little tied in my head, uh, but theoretically Ohio was really fun before I did. <laughs> And for filming locations, again, this is a, this episode is filmed kind of all over the lower mainland. Um, the, I'm pretty sure I've driven past the church and a couple of the roads around the church. Some of those signs are really familiar to me. And that church is uh, a church in Surrey, which is the city that I lived in for a number of years. It's a little Anglican church. It's actually really cute. And this episode's kind of creepy, but in general, it's cute. Next, we have pop culture, so fake IDs, any other references. I, again, I don't think there were a lot. There's a lot of college -y jokes 
in this episode. I don't think religious references count as pop culture, even though they were popular culture for me. <laughs> same, same. But yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and we kind of got to talk a little bit about that. Um, Ooh, I will say, I will say in terms of church culture being popular culture. Yes. For us, uh, we, <laughs> do you want to do it? You, no, you, you wrote do it. it down. I would like you oh, to God. do it. Abigail and I were absolutely giggling over the same moment in the episode, right? Where they're coming out. I think it's they were downstairs trying to burn all the silver and they heard Lori crying upstairs. So they walk out and as they're kind of creeping out of the door, you see this um, like wall decoration very clearly made by children at the church. Bright construction paper. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like this is very, I have seen this on a million church walls and it said reaping with joy. Right. And both of us <laughs> caught this in the background and both of us laughed. Right. We've definitely helped make things like this yeah a classic someone at the church was like no this will be really funny I swear um that that is the entire it really it still warms my heart bad church puns for 500 please um, <laughs> <laughs> uh just took me back to many church basements of my childhood oh yes the styrofoam cups the crappy <laughs> hot chocolate oh yeah the mismatched oh, couches oh yeah <laughs> we are also going to add another little section into our going meta segment and that is our we're going to call it our gaydar section we are we want to one thing we really want to pay attention to in this show is how it addresses um heterosexuality homosexuality how it portrays them. Um, we are, have already talked a lot in a couple of previous episodes about um, masculinity and how the show constructs masculinity. That's going to obviously kind of connect to this. Um, but we wanted to have a little segment where we could just have fun with like the moments we notice about characters, about presentations of things, um, because we that's something we care about personally. And also I think there's a lot of really interesting textual stuff going on in this show around that. Anything you wanted to say about that segment in general? I, I do think it's really interesting. I think the sexuality in the show, specifically queer sexuality is so, uh, oh man, how do you even, it is so contested. You know, yes. there's a lot of people who, for instance, might, um, there are a lot of people who don't read characters as queer. A lot of people who approach it and feel that reading queer sexuality into the show is projecting or rejecting the actual canon of the show or sort of, you know, taking our own bias. To that, I would definitely say that value neutrality does not exist. I just wrote a 96 page thesis on this. It is impossible to be an objective observer. Everybody has a bias that they bring, mm -hmm. but also, I think that's kind of the delight of it is no text is ever neutral and no text is ever independent. The fact that queer people have come to Supernatural and just absolutely run amuck with it, <laughs> right? Since season one, people have grabbed the show and been overjoyed to find what reads very easily to people who are versed in queer realities as a queer reality. Oh, delightful. So so the people out there who maybe are unused to reading um, queer realities and situations, to people who are very well versed and very excited that we're talking about it, I hear you, I see you, 
Uh, I love that we're adding this section. I think it it's very affirming and I think it's an excellent way to investigate the canon in what is a really classic interpretation. Yeah, and we hope that if you are listening, regardless of where you kind of find yourself in that, that you will you know, take, take this for what it is. If you, if this conflicts with an interpretation that you have, that is fine. That is part of the fun of having headcanons and interpretation and of reading something, uh, reading and watching something as sacred is that we get to bring ourselves to it fully. Um, and we hope that we get to learn together in that way and also have some fun. And, you know, this is the full disclosure. I think this has probably become clear over the course of our episodes, but like we are queer, <laughs> we are queer people wow, I can't speak. We are queer people ourselves. And so we obviously bring that to the text, but we also bring our own um, academic study. We also bring our own um, textual study to it. So there are our credentials, there are our biases. It's all out on the table. Now let's talk about some gaydar. <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, go, I'm gonna like, I'll let you lead off on that. <laughs> oh man. Um... I thought it was absolutely fascinating, right, that we see Dean, right, multiple times sort of talk about, oof, house full of women, oof, sorority girls. Anyway, I'll go burn the body. Yeah, it doesn't, like, literally does, like, nothing, at no point pushes to actually be interacting with these girls. <laughs> Very interesting. Yes, yep. Um, also, this is a scene, like, I'm, this is a scene that other people have pointed out. I'm not going to take credit for having figured this one out on my own, um, but it is also hard to ignore. So the scene, the first scene at the frat house with, uh, Sam and Dean and the, um, frat boy in full purple body paint, you know, Dean's just looking all over that in some really funny ways, pointing out missed spots. It's, you know, you can read it multiple ways. We're choosing to read a little bit of bisexual Dean onto that because mm -hmm. we want to start looking for that as early as season one, because I think it's going to become a lot harder. Like it's become a lot easier in later seasons to kind of be like, this is really, you can't read this as anything but queer um, very easily. Like it's very, I think it's it more and more overt, but I am very been very curious to try and look at that in the earlier seasons when we're getting more of a like classic, you know, Dean's being presented as the classic masculine character. I'm interested to see how they're already subverting that. And I think this is a moment where they are. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. Very, very funny. <laughs> Sam, it is. Sam on the end to like contrast Sam and Dean in that moment. Dean is playing up. I'm uncomfortable, but is thoroughly enjoying himself. Sam seems a little bit legitimately uncomfortable. Not in like a, I don't think in like a harmful way. I think just Sam is, is, is not having the same reaction Dean is having to this scenario. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's the whole, you know, Sam's the one painting him and Dean's playing up. Oh, you know, you missed a spot. There's more, oh my God. Well, yeah, you're saying that as you run your eyes over this man's entire body, uh, check out his ass and then wink at Sam. <laughs> mm, yes, like yeah. every straight man. Yes, yeah. 
Um, that ends our going meta segment for today. We have one more segment today and that is blessings. So in this segment, we take a page from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and the longstanding tradition in many religious communities. And we're each going to bless a character from this episode for whatever reason we want to bless them. This is going to make the third time in a row, I'm pretty sure that I'm gonna bless Sam because, and I, it's low hanging fruit, but I think we've seen over the course of the three times that I've blessed Sam, we've seen Sam go from just like so lost in his grief to at this point where I think he's still really, it's still really heavy on him. It still hasn't been very long. He's still carrying it, but he's also, we're also starting to see him make, you know, decisions for a future life. He's not, he's not trying to, he's not just, just re-experiencing the past with Jess. He's also engaging with Laurie in the present. He's also fully committed to the hunt with Dean. Um, and, you know, that grieving process is going to be a roller coaster for Sam, but I wanted to bless him for, you know, the moments where he finds some reprieve in this episode and the moments where he makes some genuine caring connection with Lori. Because I think, you know, she really needed that. But I think Sam also equally really needed to be with someone who could understand a little bit of what he's going through and what he experienced. So I want to bless Sam for that. Sam just deserves endless blessings. Yeah. I would like to bless the town. Mm. I, you know, I think kind of tied in with Lori never really questions what's happening. Um, I was really struck at how quickly people tried to get her to move on or how quickly she seemed to move on and right that this has happened before that the hook man has been in this town a nine mile road several times and now is gone and their pastor has just been attacked right we sort of leave on his status is unclear it seems very tenuous this is a really big shakeup for them. Um, losing two kids in a college is rough. Losing a pastor is rough. Um, and I think in terms of the lore of the show, learning, losing a spirit or losing like even right to sort of speak a monster of the town affects it. Um, so I want, I want to bless it. I want, I want this to be something that fades into the past and uh, that is not haunting them anymore. And I want to bless that they um are able to embrace and remember each other as a community thank you well thank you for joining me today hannah thank you for having me it is always such a delight always a delight and to anyone who is listening thank you for coming along for the ride we wish you a peaceful road until we meet again um, we are not going to be discussing season one, episode eight, Bugs, which is our, which would be our next episode, but there's going to be a little mini episode forthcoming explaining our reason that we're not recording Bugs, and we will also be releasing a full episode next week, and that will be ep season one, episode nine, Home, and that's going to be through the theme of maturity. Maturity.
A note to our listeners. This episode was recorded prior to our season three name change, where we went from Driver Picks the Podcast to Saving People, Queering Things. For all of our new social media platforms, visit queeringthingspodcast.com.